Hey, let's start the show for Thursday, October 27th, 2016. Welcome to This Is Only a Test, the official podcast of Tested.com. You mess with my levels over there. I just lower the the theme yeah, don't for everyone. Blow out people's speakers. Yeah, exactly. As awesome as the theme is. Hey, everybody! It's Norm here, hosting this week's episode, and joining me, Jeremy Williams. What's up? It's a duo cast this week. Just the two of us. I know I really wanted to get Will in this week, but he was unavailable. Uh, so it's just the two of us. We were recording on Thursday. Hopefully, you guys will have to listen to this episode on Thursday. I'm going to rush home afterward and process the podcast. We didn't want to record too early because we did that last week, and we missed out on like half the week's news. It happens. To talk about. It sometimes happens. By the way, sometimes. Kishore wanted to be here too. He did. But he's very busy with the Tested Live show. Among other things. The whole Bay Area Science Festival is on his capable shoulders. It's happening this weekend, which is a perfect time for us to advertise the live show. We're going to be on stage this Saturday. If you're in the Bay Area, we really want you to come. If you're not, we want you to come. And if you're not, we want you to come as well. Uh, there are still some tickets available. We promise it's going to be an amazing show. We're going to talk about some of the food segment parts of it at the end in the VR minute. But uh, I am amped. I am pumped. Maybe not pumped as Panos Panay from Microsoft, but I'm still (laughs) pumped for Saturday evening. It's our annual check-in with you guys to see you in person. And if you're not in the Bay Area or not going to be able to make it to the live show, uh, you'll be able to watch some of that footage afterward, Uh, especially the the Tested Premium people. Last year, we put out the whole show as one 90-minute video, and so we're going to do that this year as well. Um, so tickets are on testedjourneys.eventbrite.com or you just go to eventbrite or bayerascience.org. You can find all the information there. Really hope to see you, but let's talk about pop culture. Not too much time in this segment today. There's a I know. lot of tech to talk like, about. I was listening to that intro and me saying pop culture news and so relaxed. I'm not relaxed at all today. There's so much to go. Uh, the first bit of pop culture news, we saw this just announced today. There's a little bit of a switcheroo for movie releases, two highly anticipated Pixar releases. What's going on, Jeremy? Well, are you more excited about Toy Story 4 or The Incredibles 2? I'm way more excited for Incredibles 2. Hey, me too. That, and you're in luck because that has been moved up. It's now coming out in 2018. Um, and Toy Story 4 has switched places with it. It's coming out in 2019 now. Wow. Toy Story 4, that's the one that Rashida Jones is working on writing. The one that, I think in terms of movies did, that we ask ourselves, did we really need? Well, I think Disney asked themselves that question. They have a different answer than everyone else. Well, their answer is yes. Yeah. <laughs> Where we, these bags of these bags, these sacks need to be filled with cash. Right. We have a warehouse full of sacks, and we want to convert it to ten warehouses full of cash. How else can we How get can all we the do money? it? Lassiter, 
<laughs> Add those numerals after your movie. And hey, I'm glad he's directing it because I'm I'm the guy who wasn't a huge fan of Toy Story three, and I know I'm in the minority, but it was just a little too dark for me. And um, I'm excited to see what he comes up with. I'm happy to give him another year. Okay. You think it's more in the writing or the directing or who can say? Yeah, we don't know. At this phase, we know nothing. Both these movies are directed by the original directors of the the first movies. So Toy Story being done by yes. John Lasseter. Incredibles 2 being done by Brad Bird, of course, is the first one. So He's done so many movies since. Yes, mostly live action, though. That's right. Yeah. He went to uh, he went to Tomorrowland. Mission Impossible. Back. Mission Impossible. And now back again. So maybe his sensibilities have changed a little bit. We'd love to see how these characters have been percolating in his head oh, in the years. So good. Right? Uh, I think... Toy, uh, uh, finding Dory really proved that even 10 years later, you can make a relevant sequel and not feel like a cash grab. Although you can also grab cash because Toy St- uh, Do- uh, sorry, Finding Dory has entered the $1 billion club. Is it in the $1 billion club? Does it yep. join the ranks of Alice in Wonderland and... Well, of uh, animated, <laughs> animated films, Toy Story uh, and, 3. And Frozen. Toy Story 3 was the first one to do it. They were the first um, movie cartoon to, to cross that barrier. And then Frozen did... Frozen's uh, the highest grossing animated movie of all time. Yes, now that is. Uh, but Minions, believe it or not, is in the Billion Dollar Club. Lowest common job. <laughs> but so, I, I mean, first of all, Brad Bird, in my mind, when it comes to animation, can do no wrong. And I can't wait to see Incredibles 2. That's my f- Incredibles is still probably my favorite Pixar film. Wow. Right, we're not going to get into that debate. There is simply no time to do that. But please let us know in the comments which one is your favorite Pixar film and whether we needed a... Uh, yeah, Toy Story a, 4. A, a Toy Story 4, a cash Five, grab. A, such six, an obvious cash grab. Seven. Creative cash grab. When does it end? I, who knows? Who knows? Uh, another movie that we're looking for. Have you bought your Rogue One tickets yet? <laughs> can you? I, I believe you can. <laughs> no. A housemate I asked haven't. me yesterday if I had bought mine. I'm like, what? I, I, was, I was on an airplane. I don't know. What? They went um, on sale this week? They might have gone on sale this week. I want to know because I want to buy. I'm looking forward to Rogue One. Me too. And I want to see I want to see if I can buy uh, tickets for opening weekend in IMAX. I don't know if I'm going to watch it twice like I did um, Force Awakens. I, yeah. yeah. Force I, I, Awakens was only one year ago. You are going to watch it that. twice. It, yeah. feel, it feels like many years ago. Dude, you're going to so be so saturated. You're going to be saying, oh, it's only been one year since the last Star Wars movie forever now. Right. Every single year, that's what you're going to say. Yeah. Uh, well, they did make some casting announcements since the last one we podcasted for not Rogue One, but the next Star Wars story. These are the anthology standalone stories that are coming out in between your episodes 7, 8, and 9. The one after Rogue One is the Han Solo origin story. So two years after Rogue two One. Two years right? after Rogue One, after episode 8 comes out. And this one is directed by the uh, duo that did uh, the Lego movie and 21 Jump Street, the creative team. Um, I believe Chris Miller, Phil Lord. They already had cast their young Han Solo, who is um, uh, the guy that was in the Coen Brothers movie, um, Hail Caesar. And oh. you should watch that movie, Hail Caesar, because he's great in it. And you can totally see Han Solo coming out of that character, even though he has a, a funny accent. I haven't seen that movie yet. It's at the very top of my must-watch list. Uh, the movie itself, overall, is okay. He's really great in it. Okay. Um, Donald Glover has been announced as a young Lando Calrissian. My man, he can do no wrong. He, I think it was perfect. I think we speculated years ago when they were talking about these Star Wars anthology movies that maybe Donald Glover would be great as like a Lando's son. But mm-hmm. even better that he's actually playing Lando. Have you watched Atlanta? 
I have not seen Atlanta yet. I know it was highly recommended. Highly by recommended. Both Will and and Adam. Yes, it's it, you know it breaks a lot of conventions. It's a really good show, and he's fantastic. All right, now recommended by three of you guys. So I gotta watch it. All right, uh, that's the the casting news. Good news for Star Wars, but maybe not so good news. Next for Star Trek, Star Trek Discovery, which we've talked about. That's, uh, that's, that's the new show? That's the new Star Trek show, the one that's going to be on CBS All Access that, that um, was going to be set in the original non-J.J. Abrams universe, yeah. the, not the Kelvin universe. Uh, that just lost the strongest creative force behind it, Brian Fuller, the but, showrunner. Oh, no. Yeah. Wow. So it, the report, and this is from Variety, is that he wrote the first two scripts for Discovery, and did the whole broader story arc, which is good, but he will not be showrunning it on a day-to-day basis. Can you define showrunner for those of us who don't live in Hollywood? So a showrunner, and, and showrunner does something, it's basically the person in charge creatively of the entire show, of the whole writing staff, of, of breaking down the episodes, uh, the, uh, as opposed to a producer who works on just budgets. A showrunner works with the producers to make the shows happen but has the creative vision for the show. Kind of like the dad of the show, like the show dad. Or show mom, yeah. Right on. Yeah. Um, And uh, Brian Fuller currently working on uh, a couple other projects, American Gods for Stars, which is well on its its way. That's the Neil Gaiman book being adapted into a miniseries, and also an NBC project, Amazing Stories, as a reboot. Um, So he just couldn't couldn't stretch himself too thin. He did Hannibal, of course. Um, So I don't know, like, part of me is bummed, because I wish he was creatively invested enough that he wanted to do it. Does this bode badly, though? I mean, was it heading in a direction that he didn't like? Well, we didn't know. I mean, it didn't sound that way. It doesn't doesn't sound that way. Right. This report doesn't indicate whether it was a splitting because of creative differences mm-hmm. or if it was a breakup because just of scheduling and just not having enough time. But even if it's the latter, which is like the best possible scenario, given that he's already left this, this project... It's still disappointing that he didn't have the creative energies to say, okay, I'm going to put these other projects aside because I want to do Star Trek. I suppose so. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, I have never been excited for this show based on what I've seen of it and based on the fact that they're putting it on their streaming service. It's possible that the show is so good that they think it'll sell subscriptions mm-hmm. to their service. For CBS All Access along with Big Bang Theory archives. Or, <laughs> or it's not good enough to be on regular TV. So I don't know. We'll see what it's like. I don't think it's it's not about it not being good enough for regular TV. I think it's about the audience potentially not being there mm-hmm. on network television, which is what CBS has. If it was NBC, they could say, let's put it on sci-fi but, but, and put money there because mm. uh, you have shows that on sci-fi that have big budgets and don't need network-style audiences because they're not selling ads in the same way. Um, and also you can creatively maybe have a little more freedom on a digital show only. You know, it's not just because it's a um, a subscription-based show like from Netflix or Hulu or Amazon or even CBS doesn't mean that it's not going to get the budget and attention it deserves. Hope it's great. Yeah. Uh, There were more creative differences uh, that did lead the the split up from a uh, director and movie recently, and that's, of course, the Deadpool movie. Did you hear about this? Nope. Did you see Deadpool? Nope. It's (laughs) R-rated. You know, Jeremy, (laughs) I think you're old enough to watch an R-rated movie these days. You don't need to bring your parents. Isn't it like the most successful R-rated film of all time? Uh, It may be. It's definitely the most successful superhero R-rated film. Okay. But I don't know. You may be right there, which is astounding. I think successful based on its return yeah. uh, as in relation to how much it costs. I believe it costs about $50 million to, ma- 50 million to make, and it's made several times that over, um, be over 10 times that. So um, 
the director of Deadpool, and I want to get his name. I want to say it's Tim Miller. Uh, yeah, Tim Miller left Deadpool 2 and over creative differences with Ryan Reynolds. And the rumor report is that it's because he wanted to make a much bigger conventional superhero action movie that would cost three times as much. Huh. And Ryan Reynolds wanted to keep it smaller and more comedy focused. Interesting. I would have thought that they would have both gone for the bigger budget. All right. Yeah, well, with bigger budget comes different set of expectations. Mm-hmm. Less independence, maybe? Maybe, yeah, yeah. Um, still, I think you should watch it. Oh, I, I, want, yeah. I will. I, I haven't watched Ant-Man. I'm behind. Oh, Ant-Man. That's like last year. That's last summer. That's, yeah. That's ages ago. I know. Uh, there's just too much content to watch. That's why. There's too much good stuff to watch both in theaters and in the living rooms exactly. today. It's too much. You know, our stuff included. Uh, there's also Black Mirror Season 3 that just got unlocked. You on love Netflix. this show. Yeah. I love, yeah, the first two seasons, um, and I guess they were, you call them series when they were produced over the BBC. Uh, they're anthology shows that are basically, um, they're, they remind me of Twilight Zone stories, but pulled into feature length stories. And it's all about technology gone awry. Wait, so they don't interconnect? They don't. Oh, right. wow. Anthology shows. Anthology, each episode is a whole separate story. Some are very small. Some uh, are very big. I didn't think anyone made that anymore. You that's, know? that's one of the big appeals of this. I like it. Is, uh, they, can, they have different directors, and they can get stars, like movie stars. All of them star movie stars that work in these self-contained stories. Um, I'll give you one. I actually haven't seen season three yet because I'm saving it all to watch it once. There, I believe there are six episodes out in season three right now. And... Netflix unlocks their shows, of course, right? They don't do heavy advertising beforehand. They let word of mouth yep. um, really help help the show succeed, um, unless it's like a season two of Daredevil or something. Um, and season three just kind of came out of nowhere, October 21st, unlocked. And from all accounts, it's been really good. Uh, for people who have seen seasons one and two, this won't be a spoiler, but let me just set up a premise for one of the shows. Okay. That, so you might like... How long are these shows? They're about an hour, hour and a half. Okay. Well, yeah, they, they differ. They... Um, I, Okay, you know, I, not, I think they're about important. an hour. Not yeah, important. Not, not important. Um, one of them's about a husband and wife, um, who uh, the husband dies unexpectedly in an accident, and it's in. They're all these are like set in like indeterminate near future. Okay, right? They're set tomorrow, and uh, to cope with the death of her husband, the wife gets a robot surrogate who is molded after her husband, <laughs> and they data mine his conversations and his whole internet history and his whole his whole digital profile to, try to, replicate to, him? to feed mm. this, this robot as a therapeutic tool. Uh-huh. And the way that robot performs and, and, and behaves and the way it's written, it plays off of that. The, pl- the robot is played by the same actor that yes, died, apparently? Yes, same actor, I yeah. assume. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, so that's one of the episodes. Without going into too many spoilers about the and every and they're all dark. They all none of them resolve really positive. They all like leave you with this weird like, oh, technology's too much. The thing about Twilight Zone was they weren't always dark. Like every now and then, one in ten, you'd get one that left you <laughs> one feeling. In 10. But it was like yeah, you'd gamble. Like every now and then, you'd leave that show feeling really good. Twilight Zone for optimists, <laughs> for the optimists who love to be disappointed. Are we gonna talk about Westworld again? Uh, I just wanted to. Get, have you have you seen it yet? 
No, you still haven't seen it. No. So I it's your weekly reminder. I, I think I might Go wait till it's all out. Watch binge Westworld. Yeah, yeah. You, I'm not talking to Jer- you, Jeremy. I'm talking okay. to everyone listening out there right. and those watching. Go watch Westworld. It's so good. Um, first four episodes of any show, really, I think, give it enough time to set up what's going on. And the fourth episode just aired over last weekend. And at the end of episode four, you got to be all in. You got to you completely bought it. You're bought it after episode one, but right. it's it's huge success. Um, and then in in personal pop culture news, I got a puppy. Pop culture. Pup culture, that's right. That's pup good. culture news. Wow. So, and uh, what kind of a puppy did it's, you uh, invest Danica in? and I got a Boston Terrier. Uh, she's two months old. Her name is Ripley. She's adorable. And you can find pictures of her uh, on Twitter. Wow. If you follow me. Married life has begun. Yeah. All right. Okay, let's do some catch-up, because right after we recorded the podcast last week, several things happened. First of all, we did allude to a Tesla event, a major Tesla announcement, according to Elon Musk, that's happening in the evening we recorded the podcast. And is this a major announcement? Yes. So what they announced was that every car they would make going forward... Starting now. Starting now. Starting with last, last weekend, would have autopilot as a standard... Autopilot hardware yes. as a standard feature. Big difference. Yes. So but that means that every car going forward is capable of fully autonomous driving. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Using yeah, fully autonomous driving. Which no Tesla has right now. I mean no no Tesla has the software support for it. Right, right. Yeah. So they have they have what they know they would need, the hardware they need to do their road trip across country, call the car when you're in San Francisco and have (laughs) it drive to you from New York and have it pick you up three days later. This is awesome. This is huge news. And it it, obviously, that includes the Model 3. Mm -hmm. And now it's clear to everybody why the Model 3 has no dashboard. It's an autonomous car. It's just, it has the big computer screen which you can use to relay information to the what driver. What do you mean it has no dashboard? It doesn't. There's nothing on the dashboard. It's just a big computer screen in the center console. You've seen it, right? Wait, so what do you do with the speedometer? You can drive it. It's on the computer screen. But you need to know your speed as you're driving. <laughs> it's right there. It's next to you to on your the screen. right? Yes. Ergonomically, that makes no sense. And I think that it, the car is going to be doing most of the driving now. I think that that's that now it, I understand why it looks so odd and futuristic. So because they're, it's coming out in a year and a half. Yeah. You think by the time it comes out, this, the infrastructure will be ready on both their end and the public end? I do. To, to not require for its primary function for the 40,000 people who've bought this car already to not have to drive it themselves. Uh, I think it's, go- well, you're right, like around cities. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, who can say? But they move quickly, and I, I think that auto- autonomous driving is going to be a major feature of the Model 3, absolutely. Well, the question for me is, because they're building this hardware in, and it's the hardware they know they'll need for full autonomous driving, this level four or five autonomous driving, but not it won't roll out with that because that's not ready yet in the software side. Are they going to be gathering data and using all their in-production yeah. and on and uh, street-ready cars that they're making starting last weekend to gather the data they need to make this happen? I mean, you got to imagine they've been doing that since they had uh, all the sensors to begin yeah. with. No. I I mean, it seems like an extremely hard problem to solve. I mean, it's just un, un, unbelievably difficult. 
But and are they even licensing other people's tech for this? Uh, they've been working. They work with a, a third-party company, the Bootstrap, but they had parted ways. That's right, and that's right. After that, the the accident that happened a few months ago, mm-hmm. and they were too, where they got hit a truck. Too ambitious. So I don't know. I mean, it's I love that the sensors are in there, and it is just a software problem because that's the main pain point I would think for a lot of people with Tesla. If you buy a car, you don't know when the next update's coming because they don't do those annual cycles. You don't get the 2015 model, the 2016. They just roll out features as they become available internally. So, but that's not how hardware works either. Like, you, there are going to be better radar systems, no, better right. camera systems. You're right. That they will put in these cars. They won't advertise it because they don't want people to think that the car that you bought uh, two years ago, the two-year-old Model Three, is you know, 30% worse, and these are just bullshit numbers, 30% worse at detecting cars in the sunsets with the sun glaring at you than, mm-hmm. than the newest model. They can't advertise that. But my, my point is they can release a software update to everybody, and they'll get upgraded from this point forward. They don't have to go back to in, and have them in, something installed, right? Even, Physically installed. Even That's if, right. like, fully autonomous isn't available for two years. Right. I mean, I don't know if I have the, because the software isn't ready, you can't vouch for, for the confidence of the hardware right now in that imaginary scenario. Mm, right. I suppose uh, you're right. And even the hardware they have currently out in, in the production model cars, we know isn't sufficient without the software for the uh, for, for fully autonomous driving. Like they, they changed up because of those accidents. They changed up how they prioritized the hardware. It's less camera-based and more radar-based. That's right. Anyway... Uh, so it maybe only affects those of you who are thinking about buying a Tesla now uh, and maybe didn't want to because it's it wouldn't have the autonomous feature. Um, if you buy one now, you can just wait, and by the time all three comes out, you'll yep. probably get that feature unlocked with, I don't know how much you'd have to pay, but exactly. you'll get some, some feature unlocked. They tend to charge for that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Another company that wants to sell you things, well, every company wants to sell you things, but this one's Nintendo, and they don't do it very frequently, but here's their big NX announcement, Nintendo Switch. Yeah. So by now, you guys know what's in Nintendo Switch. You know it's a 7-inch tablet-like device. Yeah. You know it has these controllers that you can stick to the side of it, physical controllers that work wirelessly. They look like, they're kind of identical, but they're flipped. Yes. They look like nunchucks in a way. Right, right, where they have a D-pad. And no, they, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, they have two buttons and they have a stick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so the way, it's actually a really smart design because the way you would hold it when they're flipped is that you would have your left hand have your thumb higher up and your right hand have your thumb lower down, mm-hmm. which is kind of how the thumbsticks have been designed on many game pads yeah. since the the Xbox. So, but it's versatile. It's, like, that's the trick is that you It's can, a portable system. Well, it's like, a, it looks like a Wii U in one form where you just play on a screen with your hands mm-hmm. holding this big screen. Oh, but then you can play it on your TV. Like you plug it into a dock and suddenly the graphics are on your TV. Um, you can take the little thingamajiggers off the side of the controllers and play two-player games where each of us are holding a different controller. Um, so it, so it's, I guess it's like that's the, that's the key feature of it is just the versatility. And versatility. They, they, they want you to be able to bring your games with you on the go, the yeah. same fidelity that you're playing at home. It was an announcement that left us definitely with way more questions than answers, and it's a product that's supposed to come out in March. So it's not a holiday release. I mean, it's six months between announcement and release. It's not going to compete with your Xbox or your PlayStation. This is really a device to compete with the iPad that parents are buying their kids for video games these days, and maybe even the 3DS. Why do you think it won't compete with the, the set-top consoles? Well, because, one, it's an, it's an ARM You just mean in terms of graphics capability? Graphics capability and game support. 
It's mm-hmm. not going to be. It doesn't feel like me because it's it's a Tegra system. Like game developers aren't going to make Call of Duty and then port this over also with the Switch version. I don't know. You'll be buying this in addition to the games you'd have for your core gaming needs. But it does have controller um, parity, you know, because you can get the pro controller for it. Yeah. It doesn't have any kind of special motion sensing that you know maybe the Wii has that you could only make for the Wii. Well, does it have a touchscreen? That's another question. That, it looks like it doesn't, right? It looks like, no, they did not show anyone touching the right. screen in the trailer, which like if it did have a touchscreen, I would think they would advertise it. That limits backward compatibility for them to sell Wii U games digitally yeah. to to people buying the Switch. Mainly Mario Maker. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that, that just seems odd. It seems too weird. Yeah. And also for people who have, because it is an ARM system now, you would think that they would open up to Android developers and iOS developers to make games to sell on the Switch, but with no touchscreen, you can't. I don't know, man. I don't. I don't think that the processor's been holding Nintendo or the developers back on that. That's just exclusivity and licensing. It really. I mean, the, the reason I think that it's, it's not a competitor to those consoles is because people are going to buy this not to buy the AAA games that are cross-platform that you either buy on PC, Xbox, or PS4. They're going to buy this to play Nintendo games. That's that why you always. That's why I always get a right. Nintendo console, and that's why you would buy that in addition to your core gaming console. Yep. Yeah. So it's a supplement one. So pricing is going to be also a big question. You know, I I, I would hope that it would be in the two fifty range, but it feels like probably they'll launch at three hundred. Complete you know, speculation on my part. That said, though, I mean, if you could buy Rocket League for the PS four or for the Nintendo Switch, which would you buy it on? You'd get it on the Switch because you could take it on the go. You yeah. can't you can't play Rocket League on an iPad. That's right. Multiplayer is a big thing. Um, they ended that trailer with this competitive play, Splatoon, you know, esports um, uh, illusion that you'd be able to have teams you know, play competitively with this device. Uh, but that's not the thing that interests me. The thing that interests me is to be able, the ability to split off the controllers and have two people hold the controllers and play with one screen. Yeah. You know, the back of the car scenario when you have two kids or on an airplane, when you have two people in the airplane, pop out the kickstand on the switch, put it on the tray and use two controllers true. and people can play cooperatively or competitively. Yeah. Like that's, that's a big social thing that Nintendo has done well. Nintendo, I mean, they've always wanted to do well, even with the Wii U and the asymmetrical gameplay. They want people to play locally together. Did you have any hopes that it would be a VR device? No. I, I, didn't, think, I didn't think it would be. I had hopes, but you you had hopes, but I don't think yeah yeah yeah. Oh well, one day we'll see the Virtual Boy come back. Yeah, I, I don't I don't I don't think so. Um, so anything else to talk about Switch? The games they showed some games that look like um, they did look like ports. You know, the sports your NBA Two K. Um, I don't they, know they I, had, the new Mario game. I mean, it's like that's the only ones I care about. Mario and Zelda is pretty much why I get Nintendo consoles. Mario looks nice, and it looks like a Mario World kind of thing. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. yeah, 3D. Yeah, we'll find out. I mean, March means there will be no E3 between oh, that's announcement and release. Well, that's good. So we'll see new titles announced. Yeah. Great. Yeah. You think you're, you're on board? Given what, they've, given what they've shown. Doesn't matter. You... Look, I will always play Mario games. I will always have the Nintendo Hey, you can console. play Mario games on your iPhone now. Not Soon. yet. I can get stickers. <laughs> I can't play the game. You can get notification. And by the way, like that, you were gone for that announcement, that podcast, but that was the most exciting thing to me about that entire Apple event was Mario on the iPhone. I'm super happy about that. Um, yes, I will be buying a Nintendo Switch. 
I don't know, like, do I keep the Wii U now, though, because they can't play Mario Maker and other games on the Switch? Yeah. I want to know. I would do want to know more about backwards. Right. And then also, because it is supposed to be the, 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 the device, the console that's powerful enough to play in your living room, but also powerful enough and maybe the most powerful one to take on the road, what happens to 3DS? Yeah, who knows? Right. If you're if you have if you're gonna buy one thing to play Mario Kart on, it's probably gonna be the Switch. Yeah. You know, next gen Mario Kart, and you can play that both in your living room and on, on the go. It's consolidating a lot of that market. Is the 3DS still an incredibly good seller for them? I don't yeah. know the sales numbers. Yeah, I don't know either. Yeah. Uh, also, a big news that dropped in the media world last week: AT and T is gonna buy or wants to buy. Time Warner. AT&T wants to own Batman that and would, HBO. That would be a big company. It would be a massive company. $85 billion as a, a, to buy the content. Not Time Warner Cable, but to pair Time Warner content, including WB, with their pipes. This is too big for me to even comprehend. Yeah. Um, is this a bad thing? I think there are a lot of people who think it is a bad thing. It's, it's just like Comcast buying NBC, except on an even bigger scale. You know, AT&T wants their NBC. And Comcast, since having bought NBC, have they done bad things with it? I, I don't know because I get that content because I'm a Comcast uh, subscriber. Um, but, yeah, it will definitely be scrutinized um, by, uh, by the regulators. So they also announced, AT&T, that it's – and this is actually the, the, the news that may be most interesting – a over-the-top – digital subscription service and pricing. It's called DirecTV now. And it'll have a hundred channels that you can get that you pair with your own internet connection. So you don't have to buy your connection from AT&T, but you can use and watch stuff over your phone or on an app. And it'll be $35 a month. Ouch. Wow, that's an expensive service. Huh. And that, that's a new box? No, it's an app. It's an app that it can run. It'll on be like Sling. The other boxes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, you know, it, it, there are a lot of these um, these a la carte services. You know, Sling TV for yep. they have about twenty five channels, twenty bucks a month, um, or you can pay more for forty bucks. Uh, PlayStation View, and I've seen a lot of ads for that, is fifty five dollars a month and has a hundred channels. Um, and or you can pay for forty bucks a month, but at thirty five dollars a month, and you get content from Time Warner, NBC, Fox, Disney, ESPN, all that stuff, um, and you can pair it with whatever connection you have. That might be a good deal. I suppose that does sound like a good deal. Um, I I went I cut the cord and buy a la carte because I don't want all the options. Mm-hmm. That just seems like a way to get all the options back over the internet. Yeah, and, and which is an intermediate, right? People will cut yeah. the cord. I don't think. If you add up how much you pay for Netflix, HBO, um, Amazon Prime, and maybe you pay for like you know, CBS All Access or something, and maybe the things you purchased, yeah, yeah, you're still paying close to 100 bucks a month after your internet connection for all that stuff, and it's not like cord cutting has made things cheaper overall. I think cord cutting has let you buy things like. You know, it's AT&T, DirecTV now, $35 for your base cable stuff, and then choose what premium stuff you want, and there's just more premium content to go around for you to buy. And so you're getting a less, a lot less garbage mm-hmm. for what you're paying for. 
you're still paying a lot and you're still getting a lot of content, but a lot of, a lot of content, it's considered in the premium space unless you're, you're garbage channels that you never watch. And no commercials, though. I think crucially, at least in my case. In in many cases, no commercials. Are, yeah. Have they talked about what is there a commercial element to this new service? Um, from my reading of it, no. They haven't talked, or yeah. there isn't one. Uh, the, they haven't talked about okay. it. Okay. Yeah, it, I wouldn't be surprised though uh, if there weren't commercials. Hulu is moving away from that now. Yeah. Good for them. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's a tough business to to try to sell. I mean, Hulu makes sense because they they want subscription money to pay for the shows and licenses as opposed to having running an operation selling ads, mm-hmm. which is a tougher and tougher, increasingly tough business to be in. Um, all right, that does it for some of our updates from last week. Before we jump to the, this week's updates, I want to thank the sponsor of this week's episode of The Selling Test, and that is Squarespace. Squarespace brings us this episode. Um, whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or an online store, it's all included with your Squarespace website. Building a Squarespace website is easy with a simple intuitive process. You just drag and drop elements from their selection of beautiful templates with they have an online store of award-winning templates, customizable settings, all without using a single plugin. You get a free custom domain if you sign up for a year. And also they have seamless commerce tools and 24-7 customer support. So start your free trial today at squarespace.com and use the offer code TEST, T-E-S-T, simple to remember, to get 10% off your first purchase. Thanks, Squarespace, for sponsoring this week's episode. And let's talk about this week's tech news. We were All right. we already doing that. Yeah, I know. Okay. This week's tech news. That was last week's <laughs> Oh, tech news. okay. That's, yeah. good. that's good. Last week's updates. Now this week's updates. Uh, dealer's choice, Jeremy, Microsoft or Apple first? Uh, let's go in order of happening. Let's go with Microsoft first. Oh, you, you're sure you're not going to go in order of things you were interested in or thing, events that left you feeling I, you know, more excited? Yeah, I th- actually, they're pretty on par. They're pretty even. Weren't, okay, so you actually had the opportunity to fly to the Microsoft event. Yeah. All the way over in New York. You would have thought maybe up in Redmond, but no. no. All the way in New York City. And just for this event, you stayed there for a few hours and you flew back. Yep. Was it worth it? Yes, to get the hands-on on the new devices. Cool. I think if we talk about, and we'll go into specifics, but if we talk about the what was the new stuff that was shown, Microsoft new, Microsoft's shiny new thing was much more interesting as a concept than Apple's shiny new thing. You're talking about Microsoft Surface Studio. Surface Studio. This is their new PC, yeah. which is their... It's not even really an iMac competitor. It's, it's not. Um, it's, well, let's talk about this before we get to studio because there's so okay. much to talk about. Let's talk, right. let's go down um, chronologically. Uh, you had a big Windows update announcement. Their next version of Windows 10 is going to be called the Creators Update. Yeah. So I actually I'm not even sure that I've installed the last one. Anniversary. Yeah. Um, so um, you can only put it off so for so long. I know. Right? I mean, I'm just it's not that I care. It's just that I'm waiting for Windows to tell me I should do it. Um, but so the Creators Update interests me a lot more. Um, I mean, just because that sounds more, like more interactive and fun and I can do stuff with it. Um, how, but, you know, when they got around to demoing what it was, I thought it was a little funny that they would update Microsoft Paint, yeah. which is, has, <laughs> it doesn't, it's not, doesn't exactly have a Photoshop reputation. No, and, and, and these are things that are, the way they talk about their own products is really funny. 
Like there's so much marketing spin, both on Microsoft's side and Apple's side. Yeah. That it, the fun part of going to these events is trying to like decipher and read between the lines. Yes. You know, when they say Paint is one of the most beloved uh, applications and used by 100 million people's day, you know, on a regular basis, I read that as, yeah, I have fond memories of Paint back when I was 12 years old. What has it done for me lately? Uh, I, I think two, I'm, yep. the people using it regularly today probably I mean, it speaks volumes uh, how few people don't have access, how many people don't have access to expensive tools and want to use the most basic built-in tool. No, and that makes perfect sense. And that should be a great tool. But it traditionally just hasn't been. When you see galleries of artwork that's been made with paint and it's good, that's an amazing thing. You know, you, you look at those but artists. But the fact that's amazing is because of how limiting paint actually is. That's what I mean. Like, you can, they have this kind of quality to them with, with the pixels are very rough and bold. Um, anyway, it's, it's Microsoft Paint, and it's fine. But So they're updating it to 3D, so you'll be able to now, what, you'll be able to draw in 3D? You'll be able yeah. to import 3D objects? You'll, yeah. be able, you'll basically have this little scene, and they're trying to make 3D accessible. They want to open up 3D to people so that there aren't a bunch of tools on the screen, and it's not just overwhelming and confusing that anybody can dive into computer graphics with the same ease that they could have used Paint before 3D was there. Right. Um, you know, you, just using the name Paint as a way to sell a new 3D tool is um, it's purely marketing. It's as if they would take Minesweeper and say, well, they have a new antivirus software, and they're going to call it Minesweeper because it's a beloved brand, and people remember playing Minesweeper. Right on. Uh, but it, you're right. It is a way to increase accessibility for 3D modeling. I don't think it's a it doesn't look like a professional modeling tool at all, but what makes it interesting is that it taps into libraries. It's a, it's a very basic version of SketchUp. Well, it taps into the actual SketchUp libraries, like yeah. uh, what do they call it, a 3D something, um, wh where you can get anything. I mean, there are just thousands and thousands of objects in there. I needed a ping pong table, and I type, and bam, it's like there, and it's free, and you just drag it in. Um, so there's just about anything that you'd ever need in 3D now. You'd be able to drag in and rotate and... Yeah, Remix3D.com is the library that they've partnered with, or I think they, they bought. Yeah. Um, and they have tools that will turn 2D drawings into 3D objects, kind of 2.5D style. Uh, also, has a Minecraft, the Minecraft tie-in. Yeah, well, what does that mean? Like, people will be able to draw things or create things in Minecraft and, and then, then export, export it into the into software. Paint 3D. Yeah. And then what, though? I mean, what you're rotating it, you're you can printing, print it out. You're printing, what do you, you're like 3D printing it You can out. 3D print it out. Yeah, that, that's the interesting thing, but it's not like 3D printers or inkjets yet. Yeah. You know, it's not like the same person that knows how to set up and use a 3D printer is using Microsoft Paint. Well, they're, that's the disparity. I think they were very transparent about what their hopes and dreams for this product is, is that they're banking on 3D modeling, 3D models being an incredible resource when people start interacting with their computers in 3D environments, whether that's with virtual reality, mixed reality, or augmented reality. Okay. The, yeah. So if, if you're talking about VR and AR and MR, you know, HoloLens or Oculus Rift, being the ways that you interact with computing environments, mm -hmm. the company that's going to give you the world that you can decorate and the world that you can build in and, and the world that you're familiar with those tools is going to have a leg up on the static world. Yes. Yeah. No, you're right. And, there, but, and there's a little bit of um, synergy going on with the, what they announced later in the show with like the VR spaces and augmented reality and all that. And so I understand that they need people to be, to be able to create 3D content mm -hmm. in a way that's accessible to everybody. You don't need 3ds Max or yep. Maya. Um, and so, yeah, that's important. That's good. 
Um, it's just the, the 3D printing aspect that seems like a stretch. Yeah, yeah. So I think 3D printing is maybe less a priority. But if you're if a kid goes into whether it's Windows or or the Mac ecosystem and starts building 3D, you know that's been the promise for years since things like Spore and and yeah. like modeling, making letting kids model in 3D today and save those objects. And maybe 3D printing is one end to that, having the 3D printed object because it's satisfying. Mm-hmm. But once MR and VR becomes more ubiquitous being able to model in 3D and then bring those objects into your virtual space, that's going to be compelling. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what else did they announce besides uh, Paint 3D? Well, along with the VR side, they announced VR accessories for Windows 10 and Windows 10 support for VR, uh, which is tied to HoloLens, really tied to HoloLens. What does that mean, that Windows 10 supports VR? It means that I think that the holograph menus, the hologram menus that they're they're making for uh, HoloLens will Mm -hmm. work in VR spaces. Oh, okay. virtual spaces. Okay. Yeah, because what they demoed on stage was um, this Holo Tour, which is something they've been making for HoloLens. It's like a um, 360 environment, but with 3D buildings and objects in the foreground surrounded by 360 video. Um, and then also uh, they had these headsets they announced. So headsets from HP, Dell, Lenovo, Asus, and Acer. VR headsets. So VR headsets, $300 with one cable tied to your laptop or PC. They were saying these headsets have positional tracking, inside-out tracking, yep. six degrees of movement and freedom, and someone wearing these would then be able to experience and interact with the content they make in those 3D tools you and gotta use take, the menus. You have to take this announcement with a big grain of salt. Totally. Because $300 is not very much money. Yeah. Uh, inside-out tracking is like cutting-edge, you know, barely announced by Facebook technology with all the best engineers working on it. Yeah. Um, and... Microsoft says they've done it for 300 bucks, and the demo that they gave was clearly an animation. Like, it wasn't even the guy's movement that was reflected in the movie. And he wasn't on. moving a lot. He was just turning. Yeah. Like, rotating left but, to right. And he was way out of sync with the guy on the screen. Mm. <laughs> it just wasn't, it didn't look like it was at all. I, I think that was a real demo. There was I think, n- no, no reflection of inside-out tracking in that demo. Right, because he didn't actually move around physically. He Dude, did rotational. The, but the movement of his head would have caught some weird stuff I mean, that like a little bit of natural head movement that was not reflected in that demo yeah um so. uh, that could also be the modeling because what we were seeing on that projection was mm-hmm. their mapping of the movements with the third party the mr camera so they had a tethered camera yes filming the way they filmed those uh hololens yeah. demos uh, so that could just be mapped improperly or, or added latency there i was watching the avatar there was yeah. nothing human about his movements yeah yeah. Well, the bigger question is, even assuming it works perfectly, like assuming somehow they've done it and you have comfortable positional tracking, inside-out tracking with these $300 headsets with no word on their optics, uh, what would be the point of being in that virtual space from Windows' perspective? Uh, you can put your favorite apps on the bookshelf. Okay. There's there's room for about four apps up there. You saw it. Yep, yep. Um, you have the menu, your HoloLens floating menu. The 3D objects that you scan with your phone, which, by the way, was cool. Yep. So they have like a Autodesk style free app competitor um, f- to map 3D objects using photogrammetry on your phone. That was cool. Yeah. It's yeah. like, and there have been apps like that for every phone for years yeah. now. But they, they're really like if Microsoft's doing it. It's going to be built into the phones, and it's going to be pretty cool. They they walked around a sandcastle and scanned it in. It was a nice scan. Then like you can put these scans up on Paint 3D. In Paint, yeah, you could mock them up, like finish them in Paint 3D, and then put them in your virtual environment. So it's like you know, it's like The Sims, but it's like you're in the world. Right, and you're populating it with things that you scan. I think you're gonna need a better killer app the for your things, $300 accessory. Your other friends scan. I mean, the thing is, 
it's got like the social stuff is what's going to sell this, I think. Yeah. And they didn't talk anything about the social stuff in the context of this VR demo or the 3D modeling demo. Yeah. Which they would need. Like you, if they if they told me that I could watch an uh, NFL game uh, and have other people there in the VR space and really make a play for Facebook, that and and, and say that's going to launch early next year with the creators update, that would be great. Yeah. Yep. But and 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 at that price point, that makes them way more accessible than potentially having to spend eight hundred dollars on on a, uh, a Rift system just to do Facebook VR. You think it'll be compatible with the, with the Rift and the Vive, right? Depends how the, they didn't show any controllers. Microsoft typically hasn't been about you know making the first party hardware, especially when it comes to interfaces. I mean, I I assume that there will be full support for the other guys. I I hope so. It also seemed like the VR part of this announcement was tacked on to one of their three big pillars. It wasn't even a pillar of the Windows 10 creators update right. that they were talking about. It was just like 3D modeling plus VR, and then also let's talk about gaming and connectivity. Yeah. All right, so gaming. Uh, this one I found the least interesting, built-in streaming in Windows 10. Um, not because I don't think people want to stream their games and people... No, people do. The people do. They absolutely do. But because it's tied to the Beam.com streaming service that they bought there's in nothing, August. There's nothing wrong with Twitch. Nothing. It's that they don't own it. That's what's wrong for Microsoft. For Microsoft, exactly. But there's nothing wrong with it from the Exactly. So it's Beam streaming only. Uh, they it, it feels like they's, they developed it to bolster this service that they bought, yeah, and it may not be what people want. If it's cheaper, some people might use it. Yeah, uh, but you need the audience. You need both the, you, you need, it's the chicken and egg for content, right? You need the audience there that's gonna be watching it, and you need the creators who are gonna be streaming to it. So unless they make yep. a way for you to stream to Twitch and Beam, and then build the audience that way and create incentives there, it's dead on arrival. Uh, connectivity. Um, this feature I, I I was warming up to over time after thinking about it. This is a, a way for them to tie in Skype, mail, messaging, all into the Windows desktop. Bottom right-hand corner of the taskbar, you have these icons for your, your favorite contacts. I didn't say how many you could put there, but it looked like at least five or six. And then you can drag files directly onto those icons or images or folders and share and send messages and jump right into messaging. Mm-hmm. I suppose that's nice. But what service does it actually use? Um, I think it's MSN accounts. They're your Microsoft account. So I have to have, so I'll have the creators update if I have Windows. Yep. And then as long as I'm signed into my Hotmail account. Your Microsoft account. My Microsoft yep. account. Then I, I can be Your Xbox account, available. Microsoft account. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So maybe it's using, it would be smart if it piggybacked on the back end of Microsoft or Xbox. See, uh, yeah. That's the trouble is it doesn't tie into any kind of phone presence. And if you're going to message me, you're go- you want to use my phone because I have that everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it doesn't make as much sense for messaging to me. Maybe it's nice for file sharing between yeah. a, other Windows users. Right. The problem is like half the world isn't Windows users now. It just seems like everyone's is buying a laptop and it's all Macs. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you would think that's that's not been Microsoft's mo. They've been in the past couple of years under Nadella, They've been making services that work across all platforms. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I'm glad to see them innovating. All right. Devices. Uh, Surface Book update. So the very high-end Surface Book, their i7 model, um, now has a new base section, keyboard section. That's where the discrete graphics and the big battery is. Uh, now has even faster discrete graphics. As opposed to a 940M, they've moved to a 965M. Still Maxwell, NVIDIA. 
they've redesigned the cooling on it, so it's actually a little thicker than the previous Surface, um, and it, the keyboard angles up just a little bit for a uh, bigger exhaust at the top of the keyboard, and then they've packed, they've crammed more battery um, to give it what they claim to be 16 hours of battery life. You, this is the Surface Book right here, right? Surface, yeah. And you're a big fan. I am. What's the battery life on this? They claim 10. I get really 7 to 8. Oh, okay. So their claim is good because that's almost double. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So 30% more battery life on this one. Um, it's it, The question is, one, they want the mobile part, a 965, so it's not a gaming machine. Would you expect it to be a gaming machine? It's, a th it's still a thin and light. Um, you know, they didn't say how much heavier it was, and when I picked it up at the, at the event, um, at the showcase afterward, yeah. uh, it, you know, it felt a little bit heavier, not super noticeably heavier. Um, I don't know how many people, how many professionals are using the Surface Book for like CAD, like whether this was a necessary requirement because it's not like they they had to redesign the keyboard, they had to actually you know mill new aluminum bases, do a whole update, hmm. and I don't know if the Surface Book is like how many people are buying the top end twenty four hundred dollar Surface Book right now. Right, I don't know either. No, uh, and because especially since the the Surface Pro line is the one that's there, I think the system seller so far, the thing that's been really selling well on the Surface side, um, their thousand dollar Surface Pro. Okay, yeah, right. That's the cheaper version though. You the 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 book is the nicer one. The book is the nicer one. Has the hard keyboard, has a longer battery life. Splits uh, has has a physical keyboard, which I like. That's not just the type cover. Uh, Surface Pro four, nine hundred dollars. So still same price. They're still not throwing in the keyboard which I think they should at this point. Yeah. And none of these have updated to the latest Intel processors. So that's a little worrisome. All right, Surface Studio. Wait, and there's also a bit of a wait, isn't there, on the new Surface Book? Uh, ships in November. Oh, that's not too bad. Yeah. I thought yeah. it was next year. Yeah. Okay. All right, Surface Studio. Yeah. Okay. This is cool. Yeah, so going into it... Uh, a lot of the idea of it being an all-in-one had been leaked already. There was that patent that, that people dug up from Microsoft. I think it was still a product that people didn't expect coming out of it. 28-inch, uh, the thinnest LCD ever made of that size, 12.5 millimeters thick for the LCD, which is that's a, a, a centimeter, a little over a centimeter thick mm -hmm. for a 28-inch LCD, touchscreen with the pen, and and it works as a drafting table and the surface dial and it has a surface dial that we found out later on it comes free with it when you when you, when you pre-order yeah yeah so lots of modes of input okay so the, first of all just speaking from an advertisement standpoint the ad for this is great not the video they showed you guys first but the ad that they then showed you midway through um, which ha uses music from Willy Wonka uh, which, you know, screw Microsoft for using my love of Willy Wonka and Gene Wilder to sell me stuff. But, but it worked. Um, it is the best ad I think Microsoft ever made. Have you seen it? I've seen the ad. Yeah, they played it. They played it, it right? They like, played it. They, okay. they played it twice. And it's it just hits all these great notes where they reveal that it moves in just the right way. Like, so you touch it and it goes down. You, they take the surface dial and it goes silent and then boom, it like hits the screen. And yeah. the graphics come out of it. Yeah, it's a great ad. I did not expect a great ad from Microsoft. Hmm. I don't expect great ads from them. I expect them from Apple, and Apple's been dropping the ball. I think this is the best Microsoft or best computer ads in eons. I think it's the most interesting computer product 
in eons. Now, whether that that's not to say it's a good product, we haven't tested it yet. Yeah. But the potential seems to be there. The concept, the design is new, which is the exciting part for me. It's a new take on computing, of desktop computing. Well, it's for designers. I and mean, it is. It's not for everybody. This is like a gaming machine is for gamers. This is very much for designers. And, and you know, a MacBook, an iMac is for designers also, though, you could say. Uh, the high end iMac is used for video editing. The high-end iMac is, isn't just used for kitchen computing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the high-end iMac is used for stu- by students. You know, the 5K iMac is right. used as a great uh, Lightroom device. Um, but this has actual architectural features that lend itself to designing. Yeah. So it really feels like there's three things about this, um, this device. The, there's the screen, there's the hinge, and there's the computer part. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about each of those individually. Okay. Right. The screen, twenty-eight inches. That's a great size. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's big. It's big, right? That's important. It's big because you need to be able to use it not just as a computing uh, area for watching videos and web browsing, but also and typing, but also as a drafting mechanism, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like five K. What is it? What's the resolution? Four thousand five hundred by three thousand. That's very even. Yeah, it's three by two. Mm-hmm. So it's not sixteen nine. Yeah. I love three by two that, aspect ratio. That's what most cell phones shoot, the aspect ratio of the photos. My, uh, my, the Surface Book is three by two. Your MacBook Pro, 16.9. Yep. And I, I like having more vertical space. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting, mathematically, there are two things interesting. One is the Surface Book is 3,000 by 2,000, three by two. That 3,000 sounds familiar because the Surface Studio is 4,500 by 3,000. So it's as if they took the Surface Book, rotated sideways, and you can have two Surface Books side by side. That's very app. That feels like a very Apple thing they did there, mm-hmm. right? Like what, what they did with the um, the MacBook, um, the iPad Pro. Yeah. Um, the other thing is DPI, and it speaks to a pro and a con, uh, a shortcoming, and, and a success of Windows scaling. Do you have a 4K monitor at home? N- no, I do not. Do you have a 2560 by 1440. Yeah, 16 by nine. Uh, do you run, you run it at 100% scaling? I assume. Yep. Windows works relatively well. I think best at 100% scaling. It works okay, mostly great at integer scaling. Yeah. So when you run at 200%, 300%, no one runs at 300%, 100% or 200%. Mm-hmm. A lot of computers ship these days with 1.5 or 125%, 150% or 125% scaling because if you have a 4K display or if you have a high resolution laptop, running it at 100% makes everything too small. And That's some like on the Retina displays. Yeah. yeah. And and the Retina and Apple does Apple has engineered iOS or Mac OS to scale really well and the, all the all the font rendering it looks really nice and they even do super sampling, right? Yeah. Where they blow things up internally and then downres them before. And downres them so you yeah. don't get any dithering. Microsoft doesn't do non-integer scaling great. And that's because a lot of third-party apps you see sometimes like aliasing because Th- things the, get chunky. Things get chunky, um, and or things get look too smoothed out and, and not great. At this screen, at the Surface Studio screen size, twenty eight inches, yeah, and that resolution, what they actually get is one ninety two DPI, which is two hundred percent scaling. Okay, so they played within their safety range. And what that means is that when they demo that, holding that piece of paper up on on t- in front of the screen, yeah. At 96 DPI, at 100% scaling, mm-hmm. is when a sheet of paper looks like one-to-one. Uh, that's what Windows is kind of designed for. Oh, okay. So at 192 DPI... They get 
four you times get the pixels. four times the pixels, but at two hundred percent scaling, you get the one to one paper. They size. made a lot of they made a big deal out of the paper matching one to one on yeah. the screen. Is that not something that's common? It's not. You think about that. You know, there's a you don't have it on on your um, your Apple computer. Like you're in Google Docs right now. Yeah, that sheet of paper is not eight and a half inches. Uh, so if I if, uh, so I'm at a hundred percent. Yeah, you're right. An inch there is not an inch in real life. Can I set it up to be that way? You can, and in Windows you can too. There's actually a, a tool in Windows. If you go to Display Properties, yeah. your Display Settings, and you can there's like um, there's an advanced Display Setting where you can scale a ruler left and right, mm -hmm. and and you can actually drag it out so one one inch on your screen is one inch. In real life, I just—that's just a weird thing to me. I, I would assume every computer would have a, a box I could click to make one inch be one inch in real life. It it doesn't because everyone makes different size screens at different DPI's. Yeah, but the, my laptop knows what screen I have, you know. But your laptop does, yeah. right? Right, and that's why if if like HP is making a laptop and they want to use this, you know, high res, super high resolution display, but they only they want to pack it in because their supplier has it in a fifteen inch laptop size, mm -hmm. they would have to do some weird non integer. Yeah, decimal right. scaling to make that one to one, yep. and as we just said, that non-integer scaling looks unfortunately <laughs> not great in Windows. So that's how they got to that twenty-eight inches, uh, which I thought was interesting. Um, the screen itself looks gorgeous, the color accuracy. Yeah, it's the kind of thing I can't tell on a video stream because I'm watching in you know in my eight-bit color range. Yeah, uh, you know, full sRGB. I, they didn't say how close to one um, t for Adobe RGB, mm -hmm. but they have um, they have DCI-P3 uh, settings, so the col different color spaces. You can actually tap that and swap it on the fly. I think that's super on cool. On the sidebar. Because when people are designing, you have to know what it's going to end up looking like. And you have to design it for the platform that you're going to have, th yeah. that's going to end up in, whether it's video or a print, a poster print or something, right? So that's neat. Um, I think that's why it's also important that they do one-to-one -one scaling because, you know, like they said on stage, there is no more print preview. What you're working in right. is your print preview, which I think that's a, that's that's a that's a leap right there, right? Never having to do Control P and seeing what it looks like on the sheet of paper when your tools show you what it looks like on your printed document. Wow. Okay. Um, Still, I mean, like if you're printing the web, you need to know where the cutoffs right. are. It's a uh, three hundred fifty nits. So it's bright, but not as bright as it could be. It's not that bright, right? It's not that isn't, bright. Isn't the new Apple Watch like a thousand nits? Yes, and a thousand nits is what you need for HDR. So you can't really you can't do full certified HDR on this. Uh, and we'll talk about another reason why you can't do playback later because of the graphics card. Uh, but it has the um, the the pen support. Right. Does this not? No, it does. Okay. Of course, like the Surface Book and Surface Pro Four, they have the same Ntrig technology pen support that Microsoft bought a couple years ago. Um, but this is the first desktop that has it. This is the first desktop that has it, which from what I think, I believe, and what I've heard is that it's not that was the big technical challenge. Getting Why? pen support at that size. Really? Yeah. It's also touchscreen. It's also multi-touchscreen. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Because the larger screen you go, the more signal-noise no ratio goes up. Oh, and, interesting. And I, so... I can understand why it would be hard to keep the screen um, so thin, Mm -hmm. With so many interesting sensors in there, yeah. But that's interesting that the size makes a difference. And you know, they said it has optical bonding, so you you don't get that weird parallax parallax effect when you put the pen on the screen. It's a very small right. distance between the LCD and the uh, the actual glass itself. Cool. Um, and non-reflective coating, all that stuff. All in all, it just looked like a beautiful screen. 
Well, like, more importantly to me, the latency seemed like it was nothing. It was really impressive, at least over video. Ah, so that was the, the other big question I asked uh, the engineers there. Um, I wanted to know whether anything had changed with the latency yeah. for the pen. Because last year when I reviewed the Surface book, I, I, I thought it was great latency too. I love the feeling of the Surface pen. Uh, they have that soft tip nub, so it uh-huh. didn't feel like plastic on plastic. But once the iPad Pro came out, I think iPad Pro kills the Surface in terms of responsiveness. And maybe not latency, but in terms of refresh rate. They do 60 hertz refresh, so it feels like immediate. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like the Surface Studio got to iPad Pro levels. Okay. And I don't think anything's changed from last year. In terms of the latency or the in terms of the frame rate? The responsiveness. Yeah. So yeah. If, if I draw really quickly, there'll be almost like a trailing effect? I think what you did see on screen was like a vector. They, they convert anything you draw into vectors in most of the apps. Okay. Yeah, so it looks smooth. And I don't think it's a trail that you notice in the naked eye, but artists who work <laughs> really fast may notice. Okay. Like the artists I... I talk with um, when we did the Surface Book review last year, said the Wacom had great latency. And everyone who used the iPad said that's been the best so far in terms of responsiveness and feeling like a real pen. Um, and we'll have to put this, this studio in front of actual artists, but it didn't seem like they revamped that at all. And it's the same pen? It's the exact same pen. So there's no angle, angular sensitivity or anything? No angular sensitivity. It doesn't know the orientation of the pen. Uh, the buttons that are on the pen still aren't programmable. Mm-hmm. And where's um, the pressure sensitivity take place, on the screen or the pen? The pen. Okay. Yeah. So uh, that's that's the screen part of it. The hinge is the big, other big engineering challenge, it sounded like. They had one of these, um, the Surface Studios there with like a cross-section. Yeah. Like they showed the internal hinge part of it. And it's like a two-axis hinge, right? There's two places. There's, it's like a V. Uh, those hinges work have to work together. So you can't rotate it and have it float in midair mm-hmm. horizontally. When you move one, it has to move the other, and that's how you get the rigidity so it stays put at any angle cool. that you have it at. But it's also very easy to move, right? Yeah, you grab the side and you just move it down. Uh, it doesn't go flat. It goes up to 20 degrees. Yeah, that kind of surprised me because I can imagine that breaking. If it's at that slight angle, like yeah. 15 degrees up, and I'm drafting and I'm just losing myself in the work and I lean on that screen, is that hinge going to be able to take that weight? Yes. Okay. They said the hinge will take the weight and because I, my fear was like, okay, you're going to crack the screen if you put much weight on it. Right. Right. That's a big expensive piece of glass. Yeah. Well, yeah. And no one at the, no one at the showcase wanted to like put their weight on it. <laughs> I don't know how artists, like everyone works differently. I don't know who's going to, like drafting tables are, solid wood drafting tables are super sturdy. You can put a lot of weight on that. Yeah. So, I imagine they must have tested some weight limitation, but it's also a giant piece of glass, and you, no one has drafting tables that are just giant pieces of glass floating on these specially designed hinges. So it's it's a little bit unproven territory. Uh, the last part of it is the computer, the mini computer, uh, and this is the part that I think may Which, throw everything off. It's the base of the computer. Yeah, it's, it's what small. The, the hinges connect to. It's at the bottom. It looks like an old school Apple TV. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you have a quad-core processor there. It runs in mobile NVIDIA chip, a 980M Maxwell, not Pascal. Everyone's running these old chips. Yeah. Huh. 980s, I mean, 10, 10 series has been out for a couple months now. I'm shocked there was no 10 series here. You know, two terabytes of storage with... Is that a cooling factor, you think, or power reasons? You know, no one knows. Uh, the, my guess is that this is something that's been in development for years, and... NVIDIA that maybe just wasn't available. Yeah. 
And so when you get to a point where you're several years into development, you've designed a cooling system, which is not easy, and a a chassis for this computer. And importantly, it has the power supply built in. Yeah, and you have this power supply of 270 watts built in, so you have the thermal load that you want to max this out at for that cooling. Yeah. Like, it's not, you can't just say, let's just swap the Maxwell chip for the Pascal chip and solder that on and have it work. They'd have to have a new new physical design, and maybe they just didn't have it in time. the screen has built-in microarray for Cortana. Yeah. I mean, when I hear microarray, I, I hear Amazon Echo. Yeah. Is it that good? We, well, there's two questions there. One, is the microarray good enough? And two, is Cortana, Cortana good enough? Yeah. Like, I would be more interested. I don't care if the microarray is good enough. If I can tap into Cortana or Alexa, that's what I want. It's, it's about the sensitivity, man. I mean, it's like the Echo has not just a microwave in one direction. Yeah. They have it all around this, the top of the thing. It's mm-hmm. a big circle and face any direction of the room. If the mic's on the front of the computer, it's not picking up anything more but than it's not about, I mean, people 180 have, degrees. Where you're going to set up a, a drafting table is never going to be in the center of an island in your kitchen. It's going to be in the corner, the, the wall of an office. Yeah. So you're really only going to need a good huh. uh, microarray for the front. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so the, the, the computer there that's built in, 32 gigs of RAM, you know, has speakers built in. There was a headphone jack in the back. 32 oh. gigs stock uh, for the, the 3,000 no, no. bucks? Eight, eight gigs up to 32. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, palm rejection on it. So the back has SD card slot. There's DisplayPort out. No Thunderbolt 3, which was surprising to me, and a bunch of USB. Um, no power brick, of course. Like, I don't think this is a... I, I get why they didn't put a power brick on the cord, that's a very Mac and Apple decision. But this is not a device I'm going to move around physically and lift up and move around the office or home. Oh, you don't want a power brick. Why are you asking for a power brick? If the power brick, like, maybe I'm not asking for a power brick. I'm <laughs> asking that they, I, I don't, I didn't need them to make the computer portion of it so small and so sleek. Mm, at, the, rather, at the expense of power? At the expense of power. Mm. Although it did seem like a pretty powerful machine. They quoted a 3D mark. Why would they quote a 3D mark unless it was impressive? It's 980M. And, you know, maybe that's all you need to drive video processing at a at at um at 4,500 by 3,000 resolution. Mm-hmm. But I, I think as people who are buying PCs always want more, and they want, they want the expandability option. If you had Thunderbolt, you could then put an external GPU on this if you needed to. I don't see anyone buying this computer that's not an artist using it for that reason. I think it, if you're just an artist, if you're an artist and you make money, yeah, and you uh, with with your art, three thousand dollars is not a ton of money to justify for something that's going to change the way you work and really improve your art. And from what I've seen, this is they're lusting after this product because you know the Wacom's are twenty five hundred to three thousand, but Wacom's have the things that artists, some artists really want with the orientation detection, with mm-hmm. better pressure sensitivity, with the buttons, the shortcuts on screen. Uh, but those Wacom's don't look nearly as good as a display, as a Surface Studio. 28 inches, man. Yeah, and, and 28 inches. And a nice display. Yeah. The, the thing that I felt was lacking, and you can't ask any company to do everything, like Apple hasn't done everything, but the things I could see that could be improved in this is one, I just wanted to see the display and hinge sold itself by itself as a separate accessory. Oh, and just the computers, you take an HDMI in or something like that? With a Thunderbolt in or something. Yeah. Like that's a $2,000 accessory right there that I think artists would jump at. Hmm. If they have their existing workload and existing computer system that they could put, if they're a video editor and they needed an octa-core system, they need all the RAM, they could build that themselves and then plug it in to like a, this hinge system and this beautiful display, that's a dream. Two, 
and it ties into them not having upgraded the pen. I wish you could use more than one pen on this. It's back to your first point. I mean, it's going to be an interesting problem when people still have this display that they can't upgrade. That they can't upgrade. They right? can't exactly. upgrade. Like the display is going to be pretty good for quite a while. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can't imagine this display is going <laughs> to, you know, give anybody any trouble in the near future. You can't upgrade it, and it's uh, yeah, and you're you're locked. Yeah, you're hmm. locked into six gen Intel, and, there, and the, the the point I was making is that there's no collaboration on this on the device itself. A screen that big, you would think that they would support more than one pen input. Well, it could potentially do that. I mean, with some sort of software update, just like they could potentially release a new pen that does angular detection. Maybe, yeah, that's a good point. Um, the dial, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, that was the thing that got me, because that's new. That's new. So it's a dial that works, th- that putting that dial on the surface yeah. and getting the on-screen, that only works on the studio. What is that? Well, yeah, you mean it wouldn't work on this. You can buy the dial, and it would work with any Windows 10 PC yeah. as a dial on your on your table mm-hmm. for you don't software get that supports it for software that supports it windows 10 is a piece of software that supports it oh cool so it has built-in native windows 10 shortcuts that you can program i got to see the menu cool and if you update uh, the latest version of windows 10 this the apis are all there apparently yeah. already so you can have things that will preset to undo or you know control z control yeah. c it seems like you press something and a menu comes up in the center yeah. of your screen and then you can choose what you want what you didn't see is that there's haptic feedback on the dial too. I didn't see that. Yeah, and it feels good. No, it like what? Like you can feel clicks or something. Feel clicks. What? Yeah, <laughs> and you can. Tr- sometimes you don't want the clicks. Yeah, so sometimes you just want. Smooth, so like when you're playing, it's app dependent. Is it Tempest compatible? So the thing that they couldn't wouldn't tell me is how many degrees of clicks because it's a pretty big dial, right? With that big of a dial. Wait you, a minute, it doesn't spin forever. No, no, no. What? No, it's not a three sixty degree forever spin. Oh no, it is. A th- it's not smooth. It's not fast spinning. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Oh, there's, there's a difference yeah, between there's, fast. There's friction. Yeah, there's friction. Okay, yeah. yeah it goes sense. 360, but there's no there's it, there's no free spin, freewheel. So you couldn't use it for Tempest that for that reason. You could, yeah, 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 right. You okay. could do that. Right. Uh, but they wouldn't tell me what how many degrees of accuracy you get. Uh, Is it like half degree, third uh, degree? I don't know. The, right? the, the ad makes it look pretty accurate. I mean, like pretty sensitive. But the di- like the degrees they had the virtual yeah. meters there were all like 360 degrees at most, hmm. and at that radius. Like three, 360 degrees is not that much. It's, it's a lot okay. of movement okay. between each degree. Anyway, I liked when you put it on the screen, it came alive. Yes. that That's like the Surface dream. They've been pitching Surface since it was a mm-hmm. coffee table. Yeah. And they've always done this. Like there's yep. been bartenders that put your drink down yeah. and you can reorder it or stuff like that by this thing that appears around the objects. So now that's finally like really out there. And it was low latency. It was like immediate. They had all these d- different applications in the demo area from animation tools to drawing tools. Yeah. And people were just like, putting things on and music tools and it's really it's very cool like imagine if you're an app developer and they made an app where the different parts of the screen activate different shortcuts mm-hmm. so you just, you're it's like being a doctor and you're putting a stethoscope and then you're just like <laughs> yeah, right just adjusting things physically yeah and how does it stick to the screen just friction is it rubber underneath uh a little, it's rubberized. I don't think it's, I don't know if it's exactly rubber. Uh, and there's some it's sort of, some type of what senses what when you put it on the screen? Do you know? That I don't know. I think it's just like the pen. It's using the Entrick technology. Okay. That's, that's my, that's my guess. And it lines up really well, right? Yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah. I want to, I want to use it. I know. I know. Uh, it's expensive. $3,000 for the, the Surface Studio. But only the one SKU, right? And no. 
Oh, no? It goes at the 4200 Oh, wow. Yeah. That's expensive. Yeah. That's old school. That's like 1987 prices. Yeah, it's $3,000. <laughs> For for that for uh, for the Core i5 version, eight gigs of RAM, n- not that much storage, uh, so it gets it gets really expensive really fast. Hmm. Yeah, that's hmm. that's why I go back to really wanting this product as just the display and the hinge. Like, remember the cinema display? Yeah, dude. Right, cinema display was what two thousand dollars when Apple released that mm-hmm. the thirty inch monitor. How much was it? Th- two thousand. Oh my god. Oh, I thought I was going to say a thousand. No, no way. Thirty inch, mo- thirty inch monitors haven't been a thousand dollars for until, not for the past, uh, not since uh, before the like, past three years, two years. Okay. Yeah, two thousand. They sold this for two thousand dollars, just a screen. That'd be instant buy. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. And you got to imagine, like for a while there, you could turn your iMac into a screen. Yeah. It would take. I forget. Was it like FireWire input or something? Mm-hmm. It would. It could become a second display, and it's how yep. a lot of people use their old computers. Yep. So I wonder if that will be something you can do with this. I don't believe you can do it. Think about the ports. It's Display Port out, not in. What about the USB C? There's no USB C. There's not. No USB C. USB three. Oh boy. No Thunderbolt three. Uh-oh. Right. Like okay. if if they'd future proofed it, and that's a really good point. Like maybe that's something they haven't announced, but. I don't think it's technically possible. If you could buy this, the lowest end SKU, the $3,000 SKU, and later on plug your own computer into it and use it as a display, yeah. that, that'd be a, at least a little more future-proofing. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. This would make a, a really cool monitor. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, we're going to hopefully, hopefully get to test it. Um, let's go to Apple. Oh, my God. There's so much, so much to talk about. Apple had an event, too? Apple had an event, too. How long ago? Two hours ago. Four hours ago. Four hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, it wasn't that long. It was an hour and a half. Yep. Uh, no no big surprises. Well, wait. Apple, Apple TV. Apple TV did have a surprise, a new app called TV. And that was exciting at first because we all thought, oh, they've partnered up with the TV stations. Finally. It's going to be live TV, DVR style on your Apple TV. But unfortunately, it wasn't that. It was more of an aggregator for all of the TV content that you already have in your other apps. Video content. Yeah, and Siri, as you made a point while we were watching it, already does that very well where you ask to watch, uh, you know, whatever. What are you going to watch, Cheers? And you say, where can I watch Cheers? And it will show you all the options you have to watch Cheers. iTunes first. And Siri does a great job at that, but there's really no visual way to browse that content. So I guess this is what that need that that's filling. Yeah. Uh, will Smith, he tweeted that he thinks it's a great idea, that it's huge. Because it, like, the question is how many people knew that Siri did that in the first place? Even though Siri was the flagship feature of Apple TV, yeah, I mean, I bet those people don't even use Siri, right? Because right. they, you know, they just browse, they just dig into the apps, yeah. and they're stuck in the app. Like the, Apple has the data; they mm-hmm. know whether people actually dive in the apps and explore that way, of course, or if they they need that front end. And it sounds like they do. So that's good. Uh, I'm curious to see how this affects their relationship with the TV um, content producers, because I guess that's not been as good as Apple's wanted it to be, or we'd see more TV services. Um, likes you know live TV, but um, we'll see. We'll see. This, I mean, there's going to be a way to get better placement in this TV app, I imagine. So they'll be cozying up to some of the content producers, I imagine. Um, then also the new Macs. Here we go. The n- just MacBooks, right? MacBook. That's right. Just the new Mac- MacBook Pros. Yeah, actually, uh, three new MacBook Pros: two 13-inch, one 15-inch weird product segmentations 
what matters most to people are maybe it's going to be the the 13-inch and the 15-inch that have this touch strip. Yeah. As rumored, as leaked, a OLED touch strip at the top with a touch ID sensor at the far right and an active display that's that can display shortcuts, other data, visual it's a, data. It's a display. It's a display. It's a multi-touch, full-color display that replaces all of the function keys across the top of your keyboard, yep. in- including escape. Yeah. Now... No haptic feedback on this touch strip. Yeah, I was not surprised by that. I, you know, I would love to see it, but whatever. There's n- there's no haptic feedback on any display yet. So, yeah, there is. What the iPhone? There's no haptic display on that. No, I mean there's a haptic. Little... That's <laughs> that's hardly used for the screen. That's just used for you know pressing the home button and uh, getting notifications. I, I'm never touching something on the screen and feel like getting any kind of feedback back. Wait, the keyboard. Not, not, does that you, use the tactic feedback? It does, but you can jailbreak it, and you can get keyboards that get taptic well, feedback. we're not talking about the jailbreak world. <laughs> but it feels just like the taptic engine is good enough to simulate the pushback of a key. A little a click. Just a little something? Yeah. I will, you know, jailbreak your Mac because it's got a taptic engine in there. I'm sure they could make your Mac But rumble. the taptic engine is underneath the t- trackpad. Yeah, and The yeah. trackpad is bigger in this one. Yep. I don't know. I mean, someone's going to have to take apart the new MacBook Pros, but I'm a little disappointed there is no Taptic. I'm disappointed this whole idea in general. It Whatever. really feels like a cop-out for them not having a touchscreen it on their Mac. It does totally feel... Well, I don't, is it a cop-out? I mean, they could have done a touchscreen. They obviously don't want to for some reason. Oh, they're misguided. They are misguided. Why? As I always say, every 10-year-old thinks Macs are broken because they because can't they don't have touch screens. the freaking That's screen. That's right. And they're, they're going to come around to this because they somebody in there is going to knock some sense into them. You think it's po- political? Who knows? I don't know. Whatever. Let's talk about the product for what it is. <laughs> it's so the touch, yeah, the, the touch strip they're calling it. Um, it's interesting. I mean, it, you can uh, perform a full DJ session using it. <laughs> So, <laughs> um, it, it's cool to see a little strip above your keyboard come to life. I mean, I got to admit, it's it's sexy. But um, as you pointed out when we were watching the live stream, all of the shortcuts, everything they had on the strip was on screen and could be solved with that screen being touchable. Well, if we were touching about the product that it isn't, we would talk <laughs> about that. Um, you know, um, I don't know. So I guess the the pitch is like your your hands are down here on the keyboard. Mm-hmm. You're using the mouse. Yep. With you, your th- you're using the touchpad with your thumb. You don't want to obscure the monitor with your fingers and put fingerprints on your beautiful screen. So you move the least amount of space, <laughs> and you're just keeping down there. And you can do interesting, and this is potentially cool, multi-touch stuff. So you're using the mouse and the touch strip at the same time in artistic apps, like to move the mouse as well as to control its size, right? That kind of thing. That's potentially cool. Um, the The neat thing is it's... It's a screen, so we're going to see it evolve. So here's here's the fundamental difference between um, a touch screen and this touch strip, because the touch strip itself isn't an isn't a representation of something on the screen. It's not a cursor. So for example, on a touch screen laptop, yeah, you're not using both the, your finger on the screen and a mouse or a trackpad at the same time because they represent the same thing. Even when you're just doing scrolling, mm-hmm. what you're doing on the screen is this one-to-one, which is what the mouse does, a one-to-one tracking your movement. When you have those controls put on a separate touch bar, whether it's shortcuts or sliders or even um, images, um, you're, have, you're accessing a whole different level of control that's outside of what's being shown on the display. 
Now, whether or not applications and people want to work that way yeah. is a big question. I mean, you, you could do that already with the keyboard, yeah. but you're dealing with 101 binary keys. Exactly. Yeah. So whether or not you having being able to scrub through photos or even a video edit timeline makes sense, or if in the workflow, because I know people for productivity purposes, you want to move your hands physically as little as possible. Like pe people love keyboard shortcuts, just use keyboard shortcuts. Yeah. And if I have my hand on the mouse, I don't want to be lifting up and touching another thing and then moving another thing. I want everything to be within reach of where my hands are naturally. Maybe it's not a product for the pro professional users. You know, it's called the MacBook Pro, but the MacBook Pro 13 for the longest time has only had the dual core processor and in built-in Iris graphics. I think Apple has taken its eye off the pro user since they abandoned Final Cut 7. You know, and they they've they're all about the mass market now. It's pro in the sense that these are people who buy these computers for this one purpose, their jobs, and make money on these tasks. Yeah. Um, I was disappointed to see no USB 3 jacks. Now, I whatever. Maybe I'm living in the past, but I use my MacBook Pro for very specific reasons. Um, they have to, you know, and I, I plug a thermal printer into it every day in order to print out postage labels. And now I'm going to have to have an adapter for that. And lo and behold, there's only four USB jacks and they're all USB-C. What do they call them? Type-C? No, no, no. What is Mac has, Apple's rebranded it. Uh, um, Thunderbolt? Thunderbolt 3. Thunderbolt 3. Right? They yeah. call it. And um, it does not ship with an adapter. No, that's right. So you have to get third-party adapters. There's no way to charge your freaking iPhone on the new MacBook Pro. If you buy it, if you go to an Apple store, you buy a new MacBook Pro and you buy an iPhone, you cannot connect them together. To charge or to charge, whatever. Just wirelessly. So... There's going to be some adapter selling, and um, thankfully, Norm brought to my attention, I could buy the $20 adapter on Apple.com, or I could go to Amazon and get two of them for 6 bucks. So yeah. that's what I did. Um, so I can print, plug in my printer to my laptop. I yeah. need an adapter. Uh, Thank you, future. They got rid of MagSafe. They got rid of MagSafe. They got rid of the SD card slot. You but, know. you know, they said, Phil Schiller said, but any of these four USB-C jacks can be used to charge your computer. Not all four at once. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, honestly, that's actually quite a lot of current to run in through one of those yeah. jacks. So yeah. I'm, I'm impressed just technically by that, but not practically. The thing I'm puzzled by is that the end of the announcement, they had a, another MacBook Pro, one without the touch strip that would compete. They said, this is the one to buy if you were thinking about buying a 13-inch MacBook Air. 11 inches is gone now. 13-inch MacBook Air. Or you can get upsold to this MacBook Pro, which is thinner, lighter, better in almost every way, better screen, yeah. but won't have the touchpad and is a little cheaper than the, the Pro with the touchpad. Why does the Air exist now? Price. It, the <laughs> affordable Mac product is $1,000 at 13 inches. Uh-huh. And it's substantially less powerful than the, than the new MacBook Pro? Um, I think it's the same processor. <laughs> really? Yeah. Huh. So look at the lineup now. There's the MacBook Air. You got to look at it from pricing, right? There's $1,000 gets you a MacBook Air 13-inch. Okay. with It's the only Mac right now with no retina screen. It's the Chud Mac. Well, apparently there's still a MacBook, too. Well, that's, that's, the, that's, the, up, that's the upgrade. From MacBook Air 13, you go to MacBook. And MacBook is a premium product. Because that's expensive. 12-inch MacBook, the future of the Mac, butterfly keys, right? That one starts at 
1300 $300 more what? for a 12-inch because of size. Because portability. These are too close in price. But portability is the premium here. Now, what about, this is the thing that throws it all out of whack, 13-inch MacBook Pro, new 13-inch MacBook Pro mm -hmm. that's in between sizes of MacBook Pro 12-inch and MacBook Air, right? How much is the 13-inch MacBook Pro, the one on the far left? 1500 Wow. Yeah. So... I don't know. As these are just way too close in price to me. I the fact that there's three MacBook lines has always confused me. I the Air should have gone away a year ago in my opinion. But then the, the Air was the Air was the executive computer. It was made when laptops were thick and they had CD-ROM drives. And now this the MacBook the MacBook 12-inch, just MacBook is the executive computer. Exa exactly. 12 like inch, well, any of display. them could be cuz they're all super no thin real and computing. light. No computing. Now there should be one freaking line of MacBooks and this should go from Whatever Just they size? want, a thousand to whatever they want, and but you, they can't do that because th then the consumer thinks that the smaller one should be cheaper. It would be no, but it's not because smaller is actually tougher to build that, and they want to make small a premium. Uh, what do you mean small? Do you mean like screen size small? Screen size and physical size. Uh, the twelve-inch MacBook is the smallest thing they make in the yeah. Mac line, and it's thirteen hundred because it's the executive's notebook. Oh, I see what you mean. And that's, you're paying for the actual compactness of you're that. You're paying for the compactness. Okay. Well, that, yeah. okay. Or that's, that's what they want you to pay for. Um, it still is confusing me. I think they could at least narrow it down to two Macs. Um, I think if, if Steve Jobs were around, he would come back and he would simplify this for people. This, it's just too many different SKUs and very close in, in price. And they need a $1,000 laptop because the, uh, most students, I mean, yeah. it's, it's still as expensive computer. When you talk about buying a laptop, you can get a great, you can get a Surface Pro 4, which I think is better than the MacBook Air 13, for 900 bucks. Pay the $130, get the type keyboard. You're going to have a better experience on the Surface Pro 4 than you're going to have on the 13-inch MacBook Air. One thing that they did not announce with the, the new, they announced a lot of SDKs for uh, third parties in order to incorporate the touchpad into their apps. They did not announce, they did announce uh, Safari compatibility, but they didn't announce any kind of SDK for JavaScript or web developers. Yeah. And yeah. I do not use the calendar app and... No, I use Chrome. ...mail app. I use Chrome. I use the web for everything. And even if I use Safari, I want web developers to be able to take advantage of this new touchpad. Yep. And um, that's crucial to me. Like that, that, that's where I'm going to be using the computer almost all the time. So I hope that that is forthcoming. I hope that that's going to be something that is just not that. Maybe that's too geeky and technical to reveal in the talk like this. But it, whoever has the the first Schiller interview, Tim yeah. Cook interview afterward, please ask that question. Yeah. Open standards, please. I want to be able to you know access that and draw to it in JavaScript or somehow. When I'm making my website, yeah, expand the interface to it. Yeah, we don't just need emoji shortcuts. <laughs> uh, anything else? It has a headphone jack. Thank God they didn't mention it at all. They hate it so much. Yeah, they do. They want to get rid of that. They um, hate it so. They much. want parity with their iPhones. That they um. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we're running a little short on time. Oh, there's Touch ID. Touch ID. We yeah, Touch ID, which is it's great. I think the the feature, the ability to switch uh, between users' profiles just by touching. Yep. That's smart. That's something that needs to happen on the desktop side too, on the iMac side. And you speculated, when will we see maybe a, uh, a keyboard accessory with the touchpad and touch ID? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see that for iMacs. Yeah, for families that share iMacs, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Uh, is there a shortcut right now that you can do? 
to switch users? Yeah. Well, it's not that hard. You just go to the upper right and click. There's got to be a shortcut. I, we we just click to drop down. Okay. Touch ID would make it even simpler. Of yeah. course, then you're just giving your children's fingerprints to Apple. And I got to tell you, like the logging in with the watch is cool, but it actually takes longer than I'd expect because mm. things have to wake up when you lift yep. the lid. So the Touch ID is going to make it for a faster login. Yeah. Um, let's quickly jump through the rest of the uh, the news. Uh, other Apple things. You know, we talked a couple uh, weeks ago when Apple uh, announced and released the iPhone 7. What's going to happen next year? Would be an anniversary edition? There's a lot of arguments that it won't be an anniversary edition, that Apple isn't nostalgic in the same way, that they're not saving any technology to release next year. There was like a Robert Scoble post that he thought that his sources said the next iPhone would be this perfectly clear iPhone that you drop into a headset. That's not going to happen. Batteries are not clear. There's no chance batteries will be clear or you can see through a screen completely like that. doesn't make sense. Um, there was a new phone on the Android side that does have a ceramic back, the Xiaomi Mi Mix um, that has edge-to-edge -edge screen on three sides and only a small bevel on the bottom of it. People are going crazy over this phone. It does have a ceramic back, um, but it's exactly not the kind of ceramic phone that Apple would make. And there's this great post. Did you see this? Did you read this post about no. why Apple will not make a ceramic phone? They made a ceramic watch. Right. And our speculation is, well, if the new Apple Edition, phone, uh, Apple Edition watch is ceramic and they're experimenting with ceramic materials, would the phone possibly be ceramic? And the argument against a phone being ceramic is heat dissipation and also uh, stellar signals. You need to have all oh. those problems solved. And the, the bigger argument against Apple making a ceramic phone, and this is from the Atomics Delights blog, is just because that's going to be changing their complete manufacturing line, their milling aluminum line. They have warehouses upon warehouses uh, making millions of phones, one million iPhones per day at peak capacity to set up a manufacturing line to change all of that from milling aluminum and brush and, and making aluminum phones to ceramic phones yeah. would be a huge okay. uh, logistical well, set up. Presumably, it would be a premium phone. Like it wouldn't just be their iPhone line. That would be too expensive. Well, the argument against that uh, ma making an iPhone edition yeah. phone is is marketing. Is that the uh, is that you can buy the iPhone right now and it is a pre relative premium phone. It's eight hundred dollar phone, but yeah. you can buy it and know you get the best phone in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, best Apple phone. Sure, and but so you know, I can get an Apple Watch for what three hundred bucks, but the ceramic one's over a thousand. That's right. So I, I don't know. It's 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 pure marketing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we'll have to wait. That's just speculation, and we'll have to wait until next year. Um, last couple of quick things. Um, Google Pixel has sold out. Yeah. Google said there's higher demand for Pixel than they anticipated, but they've also, on the flip side of the other business, they've pulled back their fiber rollout. So no Google fiber rolling out into major cities. Don't they've, say that. Yeah, it's it's not going to be as wide release as we originally hoped. Uh, on the Amazon side, they're bringing Alexa to Fire tablets. Push down button. Yeah, this is cool. But more importantly, for people who already own Alexa, it now becomes the display for the device. So when you start to, when you make verbal queries it now just automatically reflects some of the information that she provides you, which I think is kind of neat. Because uh, Fire tablets are so inexpensive. You could potentially just get one to have in the kitchen or wherever you have Alexa. So if you ask for recipes or you mm -hmm. know song yeah. information or something. I think some type of visual feedback is something that we're missing yeah. from all these voice interfaces. Not as an essential part of it, but yeah. as a complimentary thing for accuracy or also to display information that's not best fed back to you uh, audibly. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you want an image or something exactly. like that. Exactly. So does it work now with uh, the Alexa app on my phone? I don't know. Okay. Or just probably just Fire yeah, tablets. Yeah, just Fire tablets. 
Uh, that's it for technology news. Uh, we're going to skip forward to, uh, do we have time for a VR minute this week? It's not long. All right. The VR Minute. Virtual reality this week. Let's keep it actually to one minute this week. We're doing Foo live at this week's, this Saturday at the live show. And what that means is Will is going to bring Adam and I into virtual reality, into a virtual representation of the Caved Recorder, uh, our podcast, still untitled. Um, we're going to do that in a couple different ways. We're going to have avatars. We're going to have things to talk about. It's going to be a great segment. And we brought it. We did a test of it in the office earlier this week, and it is awesome. And people who um, will be able to download this later and actually watch it in VR? That's the hope. That's, That's awesome. The, yes. Yeah. So um, if you can't make it, you'll be able to see it there. I'll say from testing, one of the weirdest things about using Foo VR so far is doing multiplayer in VR in real time. So we're mapped perfectly. So if you're wearing headsets and I'm wearing headsets, yeah. I see you in VR, but you're in the same place in the real world as I see you in the virtual world. That is weird and cool. That's about a minute of VR. And no. That's the VR. No. Abduction's getting released in VR finally. That's the myth. That's the uh, Mist Riven guys. They released a new app, yep. you know, like two months yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. Like the VR thing got cut the day the game came out. Well, now two months later, it's actually in. All right. Abduction for VR. That's a minute of VR. Let's move on to what we've been testing. Testing this week. Hey, what have you guys been testing? Oh, thanks for asking. I got a book in the mail called The Art of Atari. And I ordered it a long time ago. I said, well, yeah, I like Atari. I, I actually had a 2600. You probably didn't, did you? No. And I liked the artwork a lot. I always did. It's, you know, didn't even really compare a different game entirely than the actual game graphics. Game graphics are, as you know, 2600 were just terribly blocky and required quite a bit of imagination in order to, you know, play. Um, but the artwork on the covers were hand-painted and gorgeous did a lot to communicate the vision that the designers had despite the technical limitations. And I thought it would be a, a picture book, but this is a great book um, with filled with um, deep information research about the different artists who worked at Atari or freelance for Atari, interviews with people from Nolan Bushnell down the line, and um, just great graphic design. The book is actually made by a graphic designer. The whole thing is just cover to cover beautiful and the restorations that they did are top-notch just full page full spreads of just you know the asteroids artwork missile command stuff that just brings back quite a lot of memories and i'm a huge fan i'm a huge fan i check it out there's two versions of a um you know there's like a limited collector's edition and then this is the normal one normal one's great um Check it out, Art of Atari. I have that book as well. It, it, it was one of those books that you pre-ordered on Amazon, and it actually was cheaper when it finally shipped. Like, saved seven bucks. Didn't you know that? Yeah. It's, it's beautiful. Really, really well-designed, and a lot of games that I, I had no idea existed, and now I could experience it through the art, which maybe is better than playing the games at some points. Yeah. Um, I've been using the iPhone 7 portrait mode. So 10.1 beta, 10.1 was released out of beta this week, but still in beta is the new portrait mode. Only works with the iPhone 7 Plus. It's like the, the feature that's supposed to sell it because I've been so far disappointed with just the second camera taking photos at 56 millimeters. But now you can take it at 56 millimeters with the depth blurred out a little bit. 
When it works, it feels like magic. But what's yet to be determined is exactly the place where it fails and where it works and whether in daily use and common use, if it fails or succeeds more often than the other. So far, it's about 50-50. Always be testing, Norm. All right. Uh, that's it for this week. We'll be back next week. I think, I'm not sure, I don't think Ashore is going to be joining us, but we'll have a third guest and we'll recap and talk about more stuff. If you have a question about any of the products that we talked about, um, please put it in the comments and I'll see, I'll answer them as best I can. Um, but we got to get back to preparing for the live show and we'll hopefully see you this Saturday at the Castro Theater, 7 p.m. in San Francisco. Tickets are still on sale. So we'll hopefully see you then. And we have an outro now. This one's from. Uh, Justin, a.k.a. Speed. All right. See you guys next time. Go. Take it away, Internet. Hi there. I didn't see you. That's it. I just knock on someone's door. Put my hand out and shake shake it. Look, motherfucker. I'm Norman Chan. That's it.